Hello, welcome to Enlightened Empaths with Samantha and Denise. We're so happy that you have joined us once again this week. Denise and I are going to be tackling a new topic this week. We're going to be discussing near-death experiences. So we have lots of great and fun and educational stories to share with you about what people who have crossed over to the other side and made it back can reveal to us. And this is going to kick off a little bit of a series for us. I don't know if I should call it a series, Denise, but we are going to be talking about after-death communication uh, coming up on some future shows, and we're going to be talking about life between lives. So this is kind of an introduction to all of those exciting shows we have coming up. Stories of near-death experiences have been around for ages, which I find fascinating because you can't really, a lot of... A lot of skeptics will say, oh, well, near-death experiences are all the same because people have heard them over and over and over again. Everyone sees the white light. But when you do the research and you see how far back near-death experiences have been recorded in an age when people weren't writing or reading or able to have access to written material the way we do now, and you still see the commonalities between these near-death experiences, well, it's kind of eye-opening and life-affirming. One of the first recorded near-death experiences was by Plato, the Greek philosopher. He wrote about a soldier named Er, E-R, whose dead body was found lying beside his fallen comrades. For 10 days, this man lay dead. When at last help came to recover the deceased soldiers, many were puzzled because the body of Er, the soldier, had not decayed as the others had. His confused relatives took him home for burial, but when they, paced, when they placed him on the funeral pyre, he revived, stood up, and recounted what he had learned while on the other side for all to hear. He then set about educating people concerning spiritual truths that had been revealed to him and teaching them how they could live more fulfilling and satisfying lives. Denise, can you imagine that? He lay dead, allegedly, according to this story, for 10 days. And then as he's on the funeral pyre about to be, I guess, burned, if they're calling it a pyre, then he stands up and says, no, no, I'm alive. What was it with, um, remember when they used to put bells? Like they would, yes. what, you would have a little thing, you could ring the bell when you were in the coffin. Yes, and it would, the bell would be um, above ground. Yes. And, it, and there would be the string and it would go all the way down to your hand. So that if you were in a coma, for example, and you woke up from the coma, you could ring the bell. And that's where we get the expression saved by the bell. Hmm. Little trivia. I always, I always think about walking through a cemetery and seeing those bells above ground and you're there to visit Grandma Edith or something. And then you hear a bell ringing. Would you freak out? Oh, oh, past freak out. Oh, yeah. Way, way past. Scream hysterically, running out of the cemetery. So, you ready to jump in with these? I am. We've got some really cool stories we've gathered for you all. So sit back and pour yourself a cup of tea or a cup of joe and listen to some really enlightening stories. You want to start us off? Sure. And these stories are from Beyond the Light, which can be found on IAND.com. I-A-N-D.com. Uh, several years before his death, Bryce Bond, a famous New York City media personality turned parapsychologist, 
shared a story of what happened to him when he once collapsed after a violent allergic reaction to pine nuts and was rushed to a hospital. He remembered suddenly passing through a long tunnel toward, toward a brilliant light, and then he says, I hear a bark and racing towards me is a dog I once had, a black poodle named Pepe. When I see him, I feel an emotional floodgate open. Tears fill my eyes. He jumps into my arms, licking my face. As I hold him, he is real, more real than I had ever experienced him before. I can smell him, feel him, hear his breathing, and sense his great joy at being with me again. I put my dog on the ground and step forward to embrace my stepfather when a very strong voice is heard in my consciousness. Not yet, it says. I scream out, why? Then this inner voice says, what have you learned and who have, whom have you helped? I'm dumbfounded. The voice seems to be from without as well as within. Everything stops for a moment. I have to think of what was asked of me. I cannot answer what I have learned, but I can answer who I have helped. I feel the presence of my dog around me and I as I ponder these two questions. Then I hear barking and other dogs appear, dogs I once had. As I stand there for what seems to be an eternity, I want to embrace and be absorbed and merge. I want to stay. The sensation of not wanting to come back is overwhelming. Bryce was also greeted by all the relatives who had passed on before him. He experienced these loved ones as somewhat younger in form, and face than what he had last seen them, healthier, happier. He remembered racing backward through the same tunnel he had entered when it was time to leave and reviving in time to witness a hypodermic needle being plunged into his arm. I heard a voice say, welcome back. I never asked who said that, or nor, nor did I care. I was told by the doctor that I'd been dead for over 10 minutes. Wow. That question he was asked is a showstopper, isn't it? Very what much have so. you learned and whom have you helped? Wow. It reminds me of a book I often think about by Dr. George Ritchie. He writes about his near-death experience he had during the war when he was hospitalized for the flu. And when he died, and he did come back, obviously, but when he was dead clinically, he claims he met Jesus Christ. Wow. And Jesus said to him, you know, what have you done? What have you done for this earth? And what have you done for me? And Dr. George Ritchie is like, well, I was a Boy Scout. I've gone to medical school. And he's listing all these accomplishments. I'm fighting in the war. And the Christ figure said to him, you did all of that for you and for your glory. Wow. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really, really great book. And actually, Dr. George Ritchie, here's another little nice trivia. After um, he practiced medicine, he taught at the medical school at the University of Virginia, and he would always tell that story to his med students. And one of his students was Dr. Raymond Moody. And it's that story from his teacher, George Ritchie, that inspired him to become what we now call the father of the near-death experience. Hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. You know what, what else is interesting is when I do readings and I do pick up on animals in spirit that are with people, but don't you notice that a lot of the near-death stories or people who have crossed over, they always talk about the dogs coming to meet them. Very rarely do you hear a cat came to meet me or a horse. Even though we pick up on them in spirit, we know that they can be as close as a dog, but generally the stories equate to dogs coming through. True. Well, I mean, I have I have two cats and two dogs and a hedgehog, 
And I can tell you right now, one of my cats is like a dog, so he probably would be there. But my cat, Sabrina, she would look at me and go, Ugh, and she'd throw up her tail and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's the personality of, of the breed of cats for the most part. Now, my cat, Lance, he's a lap cat. I mean, he would he would probably be there waiting for me. But I think it's just the fact that dogs are so loyal. Right. It's a different connection. I, it's a different connection, for sure. I'm sure there's a cat heaven somewhere, and they're all just there yawning about us annoying humans. But the dogs are, <laughs> <laughs> the dogs are waiting. There's a really cute cartoon of, um, is it Peter who stands at the pearly gates? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's Peter at the pearly gates, and there's this little dog jumping all around him. And this guy comes through the gates, and Peter goes, thank God you're finally here. This one's been barking for 20 years for you. (laughs) (laughs) I love that idea. Okay, this next one is a short little story about Ernest Hemingway, who I never knew had a near-death experience. Did you know that? I didn't, no. And he apparently wrote about it in a character from... um, Oh my gosh, I just forgot the name. Fall to Arms? No. <gasps> What's his famous book? Well, yes, Farewell to Arms. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what happened to the famous novelist Ernest Hemingway is an example of the typical brief or initial near-death experience. During World War I, Hemingway was wounded by shrapnel while fighting on the banks of the River Paev near Fasolata, Italy. I think I mispronounced all of that. My apologies to listeners in Italy. He convalesced in Milan. In a letter from there to his family, he made this cryptic statement, dying is a very simple thing. I've looked at death and really, I know. Years later, Hemingway explained to a friend what had occurred to him on that fateful night in 1918. A big Austrian trench mortar bomb of the type that used to be called ash cans exploded in the darkness. I died then. I felt my soul or something coming right out of my body like you'd pull a silk handkerchief out of a pocket by one corner. It flew around and then came back and went in again, and I wasn't dead anymore. Hemingway remained deeply affected by this out-of-body, near-death experience throughout his life and was never again as hard-boiled as once he had been. And I think it's significant to mention that story just because, well, it's Hemingway, which is pretty cool, and also because it highlights an aspect of the near-death experience that comes up again and again in the research, and that is that the person who comes back is often significantly changed by the experience, as you would imagine you would be if you had that confirmation for yourself. Don't you think, Denise, it's one thing to read these stories? And it, I love to read them. I find them very comforting. Um, as we said when we started out the show, most of these stories, not all of them, but most of them we got from Beyond the Light, which is uh, by PMH Atwater. It's out of print now, but you can still find it on Amazon and in your libraries. It's a really good read. She's, she's a very thorough researcher. And I think it's one thing to read the stories, but I think it's another I would imagine, to have that experience for yourself to really know that when you take that last breath, there really is something waiting for you. It's got to be life-changing. And when you combine that with the questions of the first story of, you know, what have you done and whom have you helped? And then you bring into perspective, if you did suddenly 
you know, it, it ends and you know, okay, I, I've, I've completed this life cycle, but I get another turn. It seems like you would really be focused on how am I going to make the most of this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't you think, though, that there are some people who have died and you're thinking, what the heck did you do? <laughs> like, there mm-hmm. are some people I know who have passed away who really didn't do a whole lot except suck the life out of everyone around them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know that's where we get that expression, only the good die young. I wonder if you just hit a point where the other side is like, well, they're 90, we better take them, but they haven't done much. (laughs) But maybe they come as messengers for the rest of us to say, oh my goodness, I I really don't want to wait. And I say that a lot, or I think that a lot when you get to the end of the game and you look back, will this be something you'll regret or you'll wish you've done? Or, you know, did you, I, I think wanting to make the most of our time. Um, mm-hmm. So you're saying that by some people being negative, they're being teachers. Yes. Okay. So anyone who's listening to this, who's negative, just remember that if you have a near death experience, <laughs> And a spirit guide or an angel or a Christ figure says, what have you done? You can say, I taught people how not to be (laughs) by annoying the crap out of everyone. Well, or if it's someone that's been in your life or close to you and and it may be, I mean, I know that I'm making some choices in my life right now for for health, for wellness, because I want to take a different path than I may be genetically geared Mm. to take. Um, Very true. Which epigenetics, we'll talk about that another day because that's fascinating as well. Uh, I but, agree. But I just, I think that, um, yes, making the most of it. And, and that comes back to being of service. With whom have you helped? What have you done while you're here? Yes. So that's you, our purpose. You ready okay, for the next you one? You want to share our next one? Yes. Yes. What happened to John R. Leona of Brooklyn, New York is also typical of the initial experience. Mine was a difficult birth, according to my mother. She said she didn't hear me cry after I was born because I was a blue baby. They did not bring me to her for two days. My face was black and blue, and she said the skin was all cut up on the right side of my face. That's where the forceps slipped. I was given a tracheotomy to help me breathe. I'm totally deaf in my right ear, also the right side of my face, and head is less sensitive than the left. When I get tired, the right side of my face droops a little like Bell's palsy. I'm 40 years old now. All my life, going back to my childhood, I can remember having the same recurring dream. It's more vivid than any other dream. It starts and ends the same. I'm kneeling down and bent over, frantically trying to untie some kind of knots. They almost seem alive. I'm pulling on them, and they are thick and slippery. I can't see what they're made of. I remember getting hit in the face while trying to untie or break free of the knots and waking up crying. Then I would go back to sleep thinking it was only a dream or a nightmare. After I'm able to sleep through the knotty part, suddenly my struggling stops. I feel like a puppet with all the strings cut. My body goes limp. All the stress and struggle is drained right out of me. I feel very calm and peaceful, but wonder what caused me to lose interest in the knots. They were important one minute. The next minute I'm floating in this big bright light. I know I can't touch the ground because there's light there too. I look at the tunnel and try to move toward it. I can't, and this upsets me. There is a woman in a long flowing gown floating away to my left. I call and call to her, but the light is so bright, sound doesn't travel through it. I want to talk to the woman. My dream ends there. 
about a year ago, I walk out of my house to go to work. The ground is wet from rain, yet I find this book lying there dry. No one is around, so I pick it up. The book is called Closer to the Light by Melvin Morris, MD, and Paul Perry. It's, it's on the near-death experiences of children. That night I start reading it and cannot put it down. For the first time in my life, I now understand my dream. Those knots were when I struggled in the womb with the umbilical cord. Getting hit in the face is when the doctor grabbed me with the forceps, then I died. After that, I went into the light. I find that a fascinating story because I don't even know if research has proven yet that we can consciously or subconsciously remember our birth experiences. But clearly, as a, as a baby, this, this person died when the umbilical cord was, you know, tied around them and they're recounting that experience in the dream state. Mm -hmm. Well, I've known people who have done regressions to birth time and, Mm -hmm. or to pre-birth or to, and I think it's fascinating because if we're, you know, our souls are, are timeless. They're, they're eternal. So wouldn't that just be another segment in the soul's journey? Exactly. And how did that book just appear there dry on a wet, rainy day? Right. Who put that there? It's very interesting. It really is. Okay, this next story is kind of long, so bear with me, but it's really good and it's full of lots of detail. Back in 1932, author E. Jensen, a university graduate and staunch materialist turned syndicated cartoonist, decided to take some time off to research his weekly cartoon strip called Adventurous Willie Wispo. Since his main character was a hobo, Jensen became one for a while, blending in with the other 16 million unemployed at that time in our nation's history. He bummed rides from Chicago through Minnesota until a young man in a convertible picked him up on the way to Winnipeg. Going too fast for the road conditions, the car hit a three-foot-high ridge of oiled gravel and flipped into a series of violent somersaults. Both men were catapulted through the cloth top before the car smashed into a ditch. The driver escaped unarmed, but Jensen was injured, losing consciousness just as two female suspect, suspects sorry, spectators <laughs> rushed to his, age, his aid. Gradually, the earth scene faded away, he said. And through it loomed a bright, new, beautiful world, beautiful beyond imagination. For half a minute, I could see both worlds at once. Finally, when the earth was all gone, I stood in a glory that could only be heaven. In the background were two beautiful round-top mountains. The tops were snow-capped and the slopes were adorned with foliage of indescribable beauty. The mountains appeared to be about 15 miles away, yet I could see individual flowers growing on their slopes. I estimated my vision to be about 100 times better than on Earth. To the left was a shimmering lake containing a different kind of water, clear, golden, radiant, and alluring. It seemed to be alive. The whole landscape was carpeted with grass so vivid, so clear and green that it defies description. To the right was a grove of large, luxuriant trees composed of the same clear material that seemed to make up everything. I saw 20 people beyond the first trees, playing a singing, dancing game, something like Skip to My Lou. They were having a hilarious time, holding hands and dancing in a circle, fast and lively. As soon as they saw me, four of the players left the game and joyfully skipped over to greet me. 
Their bodies seemed weightless, and the grace and beauty of their easy movements was fascinating to watch. Their only clothing was a gossamer loincloth with a loop over one shoulder and a broad ribbon streaming out behind in graceful curves and curly cues. Their magnificence not only thrilled me, but filled me with awe. The oldest, largest, and strongest-looking man announced pleasantly, You are in the land of the dead. We lived on earth just like you until we came here. He invited me to look at my arm. I looked, and it was translucent. That is, I could see dimly through it. Next, they had me look at the grass and the trees. They were also translucent. It was exactly the way the Bible had described heaven. Then I noticed the landscape was gradually becoming familiar. It seemed as if I had been here before. I remembered what was on the other side of the mountains. Then, with a sudden burst of joy, I realized that this was my real home. On earth, I had just been a visitor, a misfit, a homesick stranger. With a sigh of relief, I said to myself, thank God I'm back again. This time I'll stay. The oldest man, who looked like a Greek god, continued to explain, everything over here is pure. The elements don't mix or break down as they do on earth. Everything is kept in place by an all-pervading master vibration, which prevents aging. That's why things don't get dirty or wear out and why everything looks so bright and new. Then I understood how heaven could be eternal. He did not want to leave, but was told, you have more important work to do on earth, and you must go back and do it. There will come a time of great confusion, and the people will need your stabilizing influence. When your work on earth is done, then you can come back here and stay. He was born on a Nebraska sandhill during the blizzard of 1898. Jensen recalled being force-fed religion as a youngster. Not only did he turn against it, but he started challenging his parents at every turn, including questioning the way they ate. He observed that their farm animals did just fine on a diet of fresh greens and whole grains, yet family members were always suffering from indigestion and constipation from the white flour, sugar, and grease they consumed. Behind his parents' backs, he had cured himself of this by eating bran flakes. He continued to defy the conventions of his day, switching from atheism to mysticism after his near-death experience, which occurred at the age of 34. He married afterwards and built his own home in Idaho from blocks of pumice he and his sons quarried. He later became an educator, public speaker, was active in politics, and specialized in historical sculpture. He was also an authority on organic gardening and nutrition. Although a public figure, Jensen was frequently at odds with the school boards where he taught opposing any procedure that capped a child's creative drive, speaking out against the incarceration of American citizens of Japanese ancestry during World War II, and ignoring school rules by sharing his near-death experience in class as proof to his students that mortality and morality matters and life really has a purpose. Ironically, Jensen was still questioning whether or not he had fulfilled his life's work when he returned home in 1992, the quiet benefactor of thousands. So I love that story because it's so vivid, his experience of returning home, as he calls it. I think what I love most is the, expla- the explanation of why the other side is so beautiful, that, that all-pervading master vibration that the Greek god-looking man explains to him. I think that's just fascinating to think about. Uh, what really jumped out at me is that the statement that was, you have more important work to do on earth and you must go back and do it. 
and there will come a time of great confusion. The people will need your stabilizing influences, and then you can come back. That seems like it's a, a prominent theme for a lot of people right now is we, we have this, this, and I wonder if that comes in waves or if, you know, many, mm. because we, we've talked about this a lot is if we're all tapping into that same collective and there's such a similarity between these stories, but also are we, the importance of have you done what you came here to do? Are you focusing on your life lessons? Are you doing your karmic work? That just seems to be the pervasive theme throughout all of these stories. I agree. And that, I mean, he clearly came back from that near-death experience and lived a very full, rich life that was a little bit off the grid, where he clearly did use his experience and his innovation to bring a stabilizing presence to the people he encountered. And, and that he, he really, he was, from, from the way it sounded when you read it, he was also airdropped into a family situation where he didn't really feel like he, he belonged. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, very interesting. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. Okay, you want to read our next one? Sure. Alice Morrison Mays nearly died at the Marine Hospital in New Orleans, Louisiana, after being rushed there in a coma. She had given birth to her third son two weeks before. It was May 1952. From my position near the ceiling, I watched as they began to wrap both my legs from tip, from the tips of my toes up to my hips, then my arms and hands up to the shoulders. This was the way to keep what blood remained from my heart and lungs. Then they tilted my body so my legs were up in the air and I was standing on my head. I was furious about the way they had handled Jeff's birth, and now they were running around like chickens with their heads cut off squawking loudly, and here I was looking at that silent, bandaged body lying on a tilt table, head to the floor, legs and feet in the air. I was venting my anger and frustration from the corner of the ceiling on the right side of my body. I can remember the anger vividly, fury at the power of powerless position this whole event put me in, and I was very verbal about it, silently, up there as my mind raced to express its reaction, worry, and concern. Their statements, we're losing her, we're losing her, frightened me, and I'd get pissed all over again. The scene changed, and I was no longer in that room. I found myself in a place of such beauty and peace. It was timeless and spaceless. I was aware of delicate and shifting hues of colors with their accompanying rainbows of sound, though there was no noise in this sound. It might have felt like wind and bells were earthly. I hung there floating, Then I became aware of other loving, caring beings who were near me. Their presence was so welcoming and nurturing, they appeared formless in the way I was accustomed by now to seeing things. I don't know how to describe them. I was aware of some bearded male figures in white robes in a semicircle around me. The atmosphere became blended as though made of translucent clouds. I watched as these clouds and their delicate shifting colors moved through and around us. A dialogue softly started with answers to my unfinished questions almost before I could form them. They said they were my guides and helpers as well as being God's messengers. Even though they were assigned to me as a human and always available to me, they had other purposes as well. They were in charge of other realms in creation and had the capacity of being in several places simultaneously. They were also in charge of several different levels of knowledge. I became aware of an ecstasy and a joy that permeated the whole. 
unfolding beyond anything that I had experienced in my living 25 years up to that point. Even, have, even having my previous two children, whom I wanted very much, couldn't touch the glow of this special experience. Then I was aware of an immense presence coming toward me, bathed in white shimmering light that glowed and at times sparkled like diamonds. Everything else seen, the colors, beings faded into the distance as the light being permeated everything. I was being addressed by an overwhelming presence. Even though I felt unworthy, I was being lifted into what I could embrace. The joy and ecstasy were intoxicating. It was explained that I could remain there if I wanted. It was a choice I could make. There was much teaching going on, and I was just there, silently, quietly. I felt myself expanding and becoming part of all that was in total freedom, unconditionally. I became aware again that I needed to make a choice. Part of me wanted to remain forever, but I finally realized I didn't want to leave a new baby motherless. I left with sadness and reluctance. Almost instantly, I felt re-entry into my body through the silver cord at the top of my head. There was something akin to a physical bump. As soon as I entered, I heard someone near me say, oh, we've got her back. Morrison Mays told no one except her husband about the monumental experience she had just had. She managed to squelch any noticeable after effects until 1967, when developing psychic sensitivities warned her of a need to make a major change in her life or die. My inner voice burst into activity, somehow picking up the loose threads of my near-death experience. The growth effect was propelling me to move on and develop my own responsibility and talents. I finally listened. My spiritual life was beginning. I divorced and started a career as a musician in a major symphony orchestra. Newspaper headlines labeled her concerts healing music. I chose a big one in this lifetime. The spiritual guidance I received makes living this life possible. I've walked through the dark side and have no fear of my shadow anymore. I'm here to heal my life and do serious writing, though I'm not certain if I'm ready to write about the teachings I've been giving. What I want to do, what I want is to do a book about the memories I have of choosing my parents before I was born, my experience in the womb, and my rebirthing through the near-death phenomena. Wow. That's a lot. That's a whole that lot. That is a lot. It seems that there, there is a familiarity in all of the stories. Uh-huh. Um, but also, there's always that that tipping point of, um, you know, the old Clash on song, should I stay or should I go? And this really feels like they that decision, it, it generally is about coming back to, like, for, for the baby or for family or for I'm not quite done yet. There is a lack of selfishness in coming back, it seems. It's, yes. it, it doesn't seem like it's, oh, I want to be carbon-based and go back and do that some more. It's, it's, it's higher than that. It makes you wonder why some are given a choice and some, I don't know, like, are, like the ones that do die, I, I wonder if they're given a choice or if it's just their time. Right. And I think it's fascinating the way her guides explain to her that they were watching over her, but that they had other jobs, Mm -hmm. you know, which makes me think, I bet my guides have like (laughs) several part-time other kids. (laughs) That's where they are, Denise. We've been wondering. (laughs) 
And the, the, this comes up a lot as far as people who are, you know, oh, I, I floated above and I saw them doing CPR on me, or I was outside of my body during the operation, or, you know, I watched the car wreck from standing on the side of the road. I, I stepped out and saw myself in the car. It's always that out-of-the-body experience, and there's a, there's yeah. a similarity in that as well. Uh, but you're right. Why, is it predetermined or is it part of our life contract for the people who, who do choose to come back? Did they contract in for that, that, okay, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back and really kick ass when I get back in there? Right. And so many of them, when they come back, they really change their lives. I mean, most of them end up getting divorced. Daniel Brinkley, I, I believe Howard Storm, he had that fascinating, hellish experience. Um, and he ended up leaving his wife and becoming a, a pastor after being an atheist. So many of them make drastic life changes afterwards. And you wonder, was that pre-planned as well? Another, you know, joy and ecstasy are always a huge topic as well. It's like, mm -hmm. it was, it's all loving, it's joy, it's ecstasy. And so many of the channeled writings that come through or so many of the meditation messages are about finding the joy in your present moment. So that whole right. heaven on earth thing, that connection. Right. And so many of them come back with psychic ability, which I find interesting too. Yes. Well, the, it's, it's vibrating at a different frequency. Right. Exactly. And I always get the feeling when I read these stories that they've learned something that they either can't, won't, or don't know how to share with us. Anita Marjani is a, a very popular person on this topic right now. And mm -hmm. she, I've heard her story several times, and she, she discusses it with such a... Um, uh, what's the word? Is there like livid? Is lividity a word? When something's yeah. so livid, that that it she and she always 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 says, "I didn't want to come back. It was so beautiful. It was so joyous. It was so loving." So, I really do think that that's part of the message from these stories is finding that here. Maybe it's easier to transition when the time comes if you do make the most of, of trying to make this a more joyful experience. I see that in my readings, and I'm sure you do too. When I am connecting with a loved one on the other side who is more of an elevated spiritual being, they will often talk about how easy their transition was. Right. But if I'm connecting someone to a loved one who maybe was more earthly, more close to the physical realm, I mean, mm -hmm. look, I've had people come through who have told me they miss eating. Yes. And so, you know, and I think their transitions are a little bit harder because they're more connected to the earth plane. Well, have you ever heard of, and, and I believe this, that there are certain people whose addictions were so strong, whether it were, you know, alcohol, drugs, whatever, that they'll, they'll stay close mm -hmm. and, and not mm -hmm. stuck, but they'll, they'll mm -hmm. kind of um, attach onto someone who has that similar addiction. That you that's you've got to read that book by Dr. George Rishi. It's like ninety five pages. You can read it on on a lunch break from class. I swear, it's a quick read. <laughs> but he talks about you know he's at this Navy base, this hospital at this Navy base, and Jesus takes him to the local Navy bar, mm -hmm. and there's all these guys at the bar pounding drinks, getting drunk, and he can see Dr. Rishi can see all these spirits of alcoholics. 
and they're fighting each other as they're hovering around this one drunk man. And as soon as the man gets drunk enough where he almost passes out, one of the spirits pushes all the others out of the way and jumps into his body to experience the high of being drunk. Wow. Yeah. And what Jesus is teaching him in that moment is that when you are attached to earthly things like that, you can't move forward to the light. The next scene he shows him is a man walking down the street going to work and his mom in spirit is attached to him because that's all she cared about. Mm -hmm. And she's next to him yelling in his ear. He can't hear her about um, how annoying his wife is and how he forgot to wear his scarf and all this stuff. And that's when Jesus says to him, you know, if you store your treasures on earth, you will remain on earth. But if you store your treasures in heaven, you will go to heaven. I want to go back to the, you know, the substance abuse thing for a minute. Could mm-hmm. that, and, and again, you, you know me well enough, it's not to, to make an excuse or to be codependent or anything else in this, but I wonder if for certain people that may be highly sensitive that suffer from addiction issues, are they finding it harder because there is someone attached to them that is, they want them to keep drinking or using or whatever. And I guess that, that does kind of border on, uh, on enabling a little bit with that conversation. No, I, think, I think that could be very, very possible. Uh, I, oh gosh, what is this? William Baldwin? There's a psychologist who has written books about people who have entities attached to them for that reason. Mm-hmm. And I do find that work very interesting to read and study. I've only seen it myself personally in, in one case. I've seen it was, a couple times and it, it's unsettling. It's very it unsettling. Is unsettling. Yeah. And the time I saw it, they were attached at the solar plexus chakra, which I thought was interesting. There was literally a string connecting person's solar plexus to this entity. See, that's interesting. When I've, and I've seen this three times where there was an addiction issue with someone and there was someone attached to them. And mm-hmm. it was someone like standing directly, but like directly behind them, almost like you'd want to look over your shoulder, you know, how yep. someone gets too close to you. And I would see this, this, this dark shadow, but, but in form right behind mm-hmm. the person. But again, mm-hmm. and what really opened me up to it was Gabe, the dog I used to have that I was really connected to. Um, there was someone that used to walk by our house and I always got this uncomfortable feeling. And then, you know, the peripheral vision, one time I saw the shadow thing behind him and I knew this person had, had addiction issues. And every time, and Gabe was really mellow, easygoing dog. Every time that person went by, his hackles would go up and he'd growl. And I thought, ooh, so, so he was seeing that as well. I really believe animals do, you know, have that perception to, to see. I do too. Very wow. interesting, though. I think it's more common than we think. I really do. And I, and, I, and I want people to understand, Denise and I are not talking about possession. No, 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 no. Not at all. Totally no, different. This is more influencing, I, I guess yes. you could call it. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that. I think that's very, very important and and also brings up the the power of of real addiction and what it can do to people. Mm -hmm. But it brings up the power of our own spirit and energy because once we get strong in our own light, those things are no longer attracted to us and they will go away. Right. So I want to remind everyone, you don't need to go to 
a special healer or a special medium or a special whatever to cut those cords unless you feel, you know, that you're not strong enough to do it. But you don't need to go to anyone to be healed from an influencer. You can do it yourself just by getting very strong and comfortable and confident in your own power and your own light. And once you bring in more of that light and joy, those things aren't attracted to you anymore. You're boring to them. Very, very important to clarify and, and very well put. Thank you. What we have now to share are shared death experiences, which I had never heard of until I read Dr. Raymond Moody's book, Glimpses of Eternity. That it's another quick read. It's a fascinating read. I, I couldn't put it down. I read it when it first came out. And that shares stories of people who are alive and with us. They do not have a near-death experience, but they glimpse another dimension when they are with a loved one or friend who is dying. Mm-hmm. And I, I find those really, really affirming. Apparently, these shared death experiences have been around for centuries. And it was Dr. Raymond Moody who really brought it to our attention when he started collecting these stories. But he, he describes it as a sensation where people will have their consciousness pulled upward out of their body. They will see beings of light and they will often co-live a life review of the dying person. They will see dead relatives connected to the dying person. He says, they say it's like the room changes dimensions. It's like a port opens up to some other frame of reality. And some healthcare workers at the bedside of dying patients have even reported seeing a light exit from the top of a person's body at the moment of death and other surreal effects. They all share the same message. We don't die alone, which I find very comforting. So here's a story that William Peters reports. He was working as a volunteer in a hospice. He had a strange encounter with a dying man that he says changed his life. The dying man's name was Ron. He was a former merchant marine who was afflicted with stomach cancer. William Peters says he would spend up to three hours a day at Ron's bedside, talking to and reading adventure stories to him because few families or friends visited. When Peters plopped by Ron's bedside around lunch one day, the frail man was semi-conscious. Peters read passages from Jack London's Call of the Wild as the frail man struggled to hang on. What happened next, Peters says, was inexplicable. Peters says he felt a force jerk his spirit upward out of his body. He floated above Ron's bedside, looking down at the dying man. Then he glanced next to him to discover Ron floating alongside him, looking at the same scene below. He looked at me and gave me this happy, contented look, as if he were telling me, check this out, here we are. Peter says he then felt his spirit drop back into his body again. The experience was over in a flash. Ron died soon afterward, but Peter's questions about that day lingered. He didn't know what to call that moment, but he eventually learned that it wasn't unique. Pulled out of his body to witness this man dying alone and to be there with him in that moment. I, I just find that very comforting. It is. Was it David Kessler that wrote the book about yes. uh, crowds, like all the people that show up in your, and some people yes. might have just family members. I can't think of the name of the book right off the top of my uh, head. Visions trips in crowded rooms yes 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 thank you and and that was a a really fun book not a fun book but a very interesting book to read because it did talk about some people have 
you know, just family members. Some people who have impacted many may have parades of people coming through. Uh, but exactly what you just said, no one, no one leaves alone. Mm-mm. No. Um, uh, the, the whole, have you ever had anything where you felt disconnected from, like, phys- physicality? Yes. When I uh, had my mastectomy, I will never forget. <laughs> it's kind of a funny story. I woke up and my sister was in the room with me, but I was still in between. Now you can, and you know, look, people listening to this can go, uh, yeah, you were drugged for like however many hours Mm -hmm. and maybe so. But what I remember is that I woke up and I was, you know, that in between stage when you're like dreaming, but you're awake. Yes. That's how I felt. I could see my sister sitting next to the bed. But I saw all these people in the room. I mean, like 20. And if you looked at the hospital room I woke up in, I don't even think 20 people could fit in there. Mm -hmm. But I saw 20 people hovered in a crowd in front of me, and they were all anxious to talk to me. And I sat up and I said to Courtney, the nurse here, well, I have to ask my sister the specifics of it because she tells the story more better better than I do. yeah, it was the nurse's sister. I said, the nurses, I said, her, their grandmother is here. The sister is going through a divorce. And I, I, can't, I can't remember specifically, but I had a whole message for the nurse's sister. And the nurse is in there checking my vitals, listening to me talking to my sister, Courtney, about this nurse and her sister. Mm-hmm. And all I remember is she looked at me and she blinked. And she looked at Courtney, and Courtney goes, she's a little psychic sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the nurse said, I have to call my sister. And she left the room. And about 10 minutes later, another nurse came in. And you know how they have, like, the message board that says, hello, today's date is, yes. your doctor is, your nurse is. Okay. Where it says your nurse is, she erased it and wrote a new name. <laughs> and she said, I'm your new nurse. Oh my. But anyway, I will never forget that feeling of knowing that there are spirits around us all the time. It was, I'm not putting it into words clearly, but oh, no, it was no, a really that, amazing experience. Well, because throughout this, this whole time that we've been reading these stories and talking, in the back of my mind, and, and I'm sure you've heard this as well, that you know people in spirit are literally just feet away from us. It's not that... Heaven is, uh, you know, through through the universe on the other side of the Milky Way, but that is just at a different level. And I, I think that's another whole topic for another day. But just you know, with with realms and all of that business, so they're closer than we think. And I hear that over and over. They're we're closer than you think. I agree. And that comes up a lot in readings as well. They're right there. They're you know, all of that stuff. So where was I going with this? seeing the people in the room and I've thought about it because we all get that. We get that peripheral vision or we'll Uh all of a sudden sense someone there or you walk into a crowded room and there's, or a building. So is it just that it's, you know, literally that close to where we are or that the vibration is closer than we might think it is? Um, I don't know. I think it's fascinating. I think it is. I think it's, I think that dimension is right here. And it, we just can't see it. Right. 
you know, we can only, I was just reading a whole thing on this, how we, there's only three cones in our eyes. And so that's why we can only see, you know, certain color range. Butterflies have like a hundred cones or something crazy like that. So they can, their range of sight is so much more. And there are some scientists who have done experiments where they can um, alter our vision so that we can see like into, I think it's UV rays or something like that. And people can see orbs and things when they have their vision altered wearing these different lenses. Wow. It's amazing to think about what could be right there in front of us that, that we can't always see. True. Okay. You want to share our next story of our shared death experience? Shared death experiences, right. And this one goes all the way back to World War I from a German poet, Carl Scala, or Scala, S-K-A-L-A, uh, who was a soldier huddled in a foxhole with his best friend when an artillery shell exploded, killing his comrade. He felt his friend slump into his arms and die, according to one early book on shared death experiences. In the book, Parting Visions, the author Melvin Morse described what happened next to Scala, or Scala, who had somehow escaped injury. He felt himself being drawn up with his friend above their bodies and then above the battlefield. He could look down and see himself holding his friend. Then he looked up and saw a bright light and felt himself going toward it with his friend. Then he stopped and returned to his body. He was uninjured except for a hearing loss that resulted from the artillery blast. So again, different, different uh, generations, but the same story of mm-hmm. being lifted up, the light, the being with a friend, and coming back and being okay except for a hearing loss from the blast, which would be a physical reaction to that anyway. Wouldn't have anything to do with being lifted up. It's amazing because, you know, you always hear we die alone, we're born alone, but these stories are telling us that that's not true. There's a wonderful story. If you all haven't read Echo Bodine, I highly suggest you read anything she's written. I believe the story is in her book, The Gift. She writes about how she was helping her friend. She was in the delivery room with her friend when she was giving birth to her son. And Echo's just holding her friend's hand as the woman's about to deliver this child and she sees a grown man in spirit standing in the room and he's flanked by two huge angels and he looks at the angels and he says something like, uh, stay with me or keep me on my path. And he dives into the woman's stomach and then she gives birth to a boy. Wow. Yeah. And this was, you know, years before we had sonograms, so they didn't even know she was having a boy, mm-hmm. but Echo saw him in spirit form. It's a really cool story that I'm not telling very well, so check out her <laughs> book. <laughs> okay, this next story is by Penny Sartori, who has also written fascinating books on this topic, so I think you guys should check her out too. When Penny Sartori was a nurse, she says she had a deathbed vision that left her shaken. One night, she was preparing to give a bath to a dying patient who was hooked up to a ventilator and other life-prolonging equipment. She says she touched the man's bed and everything around us just stopped. She says her surroundings disappeared and it was almost like I swapped places with him. She said she could suddenly understand everything the man was going through, including feeling his pain. He couldn't talk, but she says she could somehow hear him convey a heart-wrenching message. 
Leave me alone. Let me die in peace. Just let me die. That shared death experience spurred her to conduct a five-year investigation into such stories and publish them in her book, The Wisdom of Near-Death Experiences. Even before that experience, she says she and other hospital workers had eerie portents that a patient was about to die. There would be a sudden drop in temperature at the bedside of a dying patient, or light would surround the body just before death. It's very common for a clock to stop at the moment of death, she says. I've seen light bulbs flicker or blow at the moment of death. That's interesting, too, that as a nurse with a patient, she was able to empathize enough to connect with his pain and his message of, you know, don't even bother bathing me. Just just let me let me go. Right. That's something you and I encounter a lot in our readings. People will say to us from spirit to the client, please don't feel guilty that I died alone. I, I waited mm-hmm. to be alone. Right. I mean, how many times do we hear that? Like a client yeah. will say, I feel so bad. I just went to the bathroom. And when I came back, my dad was gone. Mm-hmm. But then we'll hear from the dad. I was waiting for them to leave because they don't want to, they don't want to go in front of you. They don't, you know, oftentimes they don't want you to witness that moment. It's a private moment. Well, they don't want to leave you have with that memory. Exactly. We must, well, I think we have time for one more. Um, okay. One of the oddest shared death experiences comes from a woman who said she felt the death throes of her mother, even though she was thousands of miles away. Annie Cap was born in the U.S., but eventually moved to England, where she worked for a telecommunications company. On the day after Christmas in 2004, she said her mother, Betty, suddenly fell ill at her home in Portland, Oregon. She was hospitalized, and over the next few days, all of her major organs began to shut down. Cap, however, said she didn't know her mother was dying, yet in a strange way, she said she did. She learned her mother was ill because she couldn't get a flight during the holiday season, so all she could do was wait. She was in her London office with a client one day when she started to gag, struggling to breathe. She was mystified because she said she was in good health. She struggled for air for about 25 minutes and with a growing sense of dread regarding her mother. I felt and heard this strange gurgling in my throat. I started coughing and gagging and I had this deep growing sadness. I quickly rescheduled my client. and Once they left, I ran as fast as I could to my house and called my mom's hospital room. That's when she learned that her mother was gasping for air on the verge of death. While Cap was on the phone, she said her mother died. She's convinced that she somehow shared her mother's death throes, but she kept denying it because she was an agnostic at the time who didn't believe in the afterlife. Now as she she says she does, and she's a therapist in London and the author of Beyond Goodbye, an extraordinary true story of a shared death experience. It wasn't a blissful experience, she said of that day after Christmas. I was suffocating. And that comes through also as, as if anyone is a medium or is highly sensitive to those in spirit, you do sometimes feel how they passed and not, I've never felt it to this extreme, but I've had physical reactions that those in spirit have shared with me so that I'll know how they passed. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if you have that connection, uh, I know, you know, I was there when my mom passed and my, my chest started to tighten as I was there by the bed. And I think, this is it sensitivity? Is it empathy? Is it you think that's what's happening? I don't know, but it is an actual physical reaction that you have. Well, I think it's another illustration that we are all connected. 
Yes. If you think about all of us vibrating in some type of web, you know, if something happens on one end of the web, it's going to ripple across and you're going to feel it on the other end as well. And so I think if you're connected to somebody strongly in that web, you're going to feel it. I mean, you see that in twin cases all the time. Mm-hmm. It's a very good and point. I, yeah. And I think it's just another sign that we are all connected and we know. That's why if you're just driving or, you know, throughout your day running errands and, and you get a thought of someone, I always tell people it's so important to follow through and call that person because you're getting a psychic message on that web of, hey, this person needs you or you need that person. You need to reach out to them for some reason. But I don't think that stuff happens coincidentally. I always think there's a reason for it. It's like they're just kind of pulling on that on that little string of of connection that we all are experiencing. And it validates the the eternal soul where the carbon base versus going into spirit, we're still us. They're still them. Mm-hmm. We can still mm-hmm. make that connection and and it doesn't and you as you said earlier, it doesn't have to be through a medium or a healer. This is something that you can you can do yourself as well. Yes. And I think it's important to to read these stories with a bit of openness and and also a dash of skepticism. Mm -hmm. You know, I got really curious when all those 90 minutes in heaven type books started coming out. Yes. And I remember when I first heard the, I think it's the boy who went to heaven and I remember their last name was Malarkey. Mm -hmm. And I remember listening to the father tell the story and Everything in my body said, this story is malarkey. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really, I remember saying that. And I said to my kids, like, mark my words, there's something off with this story. And years later, the little boy said that his dad had made it all up. Right. It was malarkey. And I think that um, sometimes I'll read people's near-death experiences, and there is such a strong religious message in it, I get suspicious. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like someone's trying to scare me into faith. And, and right. I, don't, I don't appreciate those stories. I like the stories where someone says, you know, this is what I saw. This is what I felt. This is what I experienced. Take it or leave it. It's my experience. You don't have to change your life or change your 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 belief system this is i'm just sharing my experience but when someone writes a book or or shares a story and they're saying uh you know this is the only way to heaven and this is the only way i don't really like that i get suspicious i i agree i agree and it also is we can read all of these and we they may feel familiar they may feel comfortable they may feel oh this is wonderful or someone may be listening to this and say this is totally outside of my my belief system and i Mm -hmm. think it's and that's okay because i think we we have to all of this that we're doing is to help us find our own inner knowing and strength yes it's about connecting with each other and raising our vibration but a lot of the topics we come up with, a lot of the things we read, a lot of these things of interest, I really feel it's about helping us tap more into our own inner knowing and, and inner light. Do you agree? Yes, and I do. And I believe that, 
you see initially what you believe you're going to see. So if you're a Buddhist, I think your near-death experience might include a Buddha sighting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like, like take me, for example. I'm a little scared of Jesus. I know that sounds weird, but if I saw him, I'd be like, yeah, I'm not worthy. Um, no, thank you. I, don't, I, I would freak out. Mm-hmm. I feel very connected and aligned to Mother Mary. I always have. So I can totally picture my guides being like, look, this chick is going to freak out if she sees Jesus or Buddha or (laughs) (laughs) she's good. She's down with Mary. So let's get someone who looks like Mary to show up for her. Or, you know, I I think that's how it works. I'm not saying that like, for example, pretend, pretend you're an alien. Okay. Okay. Pretend for a minute. All right. And you're like, Hey, I really want to go visit earth. What's it like? Well, I would tell you as the alien, my perspective of earth, which is centered on North America and my mm-hmm. experiences basically on the East coast of America. But if you ask someone in, you know, Hong Kong, their experience of Amer- of earth is going to be totally different. And same if you ask someone in, you know, Kenya or Australia. And so I think we have these different near death experiences because people go to different places on the other side. It's not just one thing. Makes sense. I mean, even if you take America, you know, if you, if, let's say you are from Australia and you've never been to America, what's America like? You ask someone from Detroit, you're going to get a hell of a lot different answer than someone from where I am in North Carolina or from someone in Beverly Hills or, you know what I'm saying? Like everything is so different. And I think that's why beyond the white light, you will see these different experiences experiences where some people see clouds and others see mountains and some see clear rivers. I think it's because they go to the place that is strongly connected to their vibration and what they are comfortable with and what they are expecting to see. I agree with that. I do. And then we can get into the whole thing if we come in with soul groups or they meeting us. I mean, this is the really cool part is we can think about this, we can read it, we can dream it, we can feel it, but we really won't know till we go. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is so true. And none of us are begging that experience to come anytime no, soon. <laughs> no, it's not time yet. But I, I think it's it's a comfort to know that the people we love or care for or I uh, was talking with a, a woman doing a reading the other day and ended up talking about hospice. And a woman I knew was a delivery nurse. And she said, I bring them in. She said, I am so blessed every day that I go to work, I am welcoming someone onto the planet. And then I thought, of, and I thought about this after I talked to the woman. The other extreme was that she, the woman I spoke with felt very blessed to help people transition off of the planet. Wow. And both are equally important, and both these women found such joy in the role that they were playing to help people in and escort them out. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's a beautiful way to think about it. I love that, too. Well, and I think everybody, hopefully, will take from this hour or more <laughs> together. <laughs> to think about the messages that are common in these stories, which is what have you learned and who have you helped? I think 
really it all boiled down to those two questions we shared in the very first story. What have you learned and who have you helped? Because really, when you get down to it, that's all we're here to do is learn and help. And and it, it is, and it comes, how can I best be of service? How can I find joy while I'm here? Mm-hmm. Boy, how I, can if, I find joy it, in the moment of chaos? Go ahead. Okay, you know, as we're talking about this, that is just such a much nicer reality than the one that's been spinning around the planet lately, <laughs> or at least the one <laughs> spinning around in rural Maine the last few weeks. So I think that, uh, <laughs> I need to take my own advice and just say, okay, you know, get your shit together and refocus here, girl. <laughs> that's right. No, we all need that message. That's why I like to read these stories, and that's why, I mean, my kids make fun of me because I'm always reading books like this. I just got the latest Chicken Soup for the Soul has uh, a near-death experience miracle book, and that's what I've been reading to them at night. I still make them listen to me read them bedtime stories, and they always kind of roll their eyes like, oh, mom. But if I don't read this stuff, I forget that message. Mm -hmm. And I think, don't you think it's so easy to get caught up in the mundanity of life and the stress of life and the chaos of to-do list and shoulds and all of that? And we forget that we are spiritual beings and we do have a higher purpose here. And one of those purposes is just to be joyful. Right. And sometimes that can feel like the hardest thing in the world to do and be and learn. But it is one of the <laughs> most me. important lessons is to just find joy in the moment that you are given. Well, we hope that this hour of story time has been entertaining and enlightening and thought-provoking for you all. We thank you so much for tuning in and listening. And we recommend that you check out some of these near-death experience books. We mentioned the one by Penny Satori and Dr. Moody and Dr. George Ritchie and PMH Atwater. There are so many wonderful books you can read with much, much more in-depth stories than the few we've shared with you on this hour. And they are just lovely reminders of why we are here and what our purpose is. So we hope you've enjoyed this. Please tune in next week when we have our monthly Q&A where we share questions that you all have sent in to us and stories that you have wanted to share with our listeners. If you want to send a question to us, you can do so at enlightenedempaths at gmail.com. Or you can message us on Facebook, Enlightened Empaths. We ask you to join our Facebook community if you get a moment. And we also ask if you have a moment to leave us a review on iTunes because it helps people to find us. In the meantime, we hope that you remember to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.